Good to see you guys. Uh, welcome here. For those of you who are joining us, uh, New City Live, grateful to have you tuning in today as well. Um, grateful to have each of you here. And if you're visiting here for the first time, uh, I hope this won't be the last time. Hope you'll come back. And we want to uh, give you a gift. We have a gift for you today. And we want to tell you a little bit more about the church and how you can make this place your home. And Probably the easiest way to do that is to go to Connection Point, which is right in the courtyard today. Uh, when you leave the services, uh, head out there. We've got some teammates that, that are there. We'd love to tell you more about the church. Again, if you're visiting here for the first time, we have a gift for you. We'd love to get you on a team or in a group. And if you're watching New City Live, you can go to newcity.us connect for some ways to get connected as well here. One, one kind of big announcement today is Group Link. Uh, we desperately want to be a church where, where no one walks alone because uh, God designed us to live in community with each other. None of us are supposed to walk alone. Uh, we were wired up as people to do life together. And actually, uh, the, the best context when we look at the scriptures for, for growing our spiritual lives is in the context of one another and community with each other. And so I wanna encourage you to jump into a group if you're not and into community. And probably the easiest way for that to happen is something called group link. We do it a couple of times a year. It's sort of like um, speed dating for groups. And it sounds weird, I know, but uh, our, all of our leaders are there that, are, that have uh, spaces open in the groups, a lot of new groups starting. Uh, you're with other folks who are just like you who are looking for a community, whether you've been coming to the church for years and years or whether this is your first weekend, uh, group link is for you if you're looking for a group. And over the next couple of weeks, we want to share a couple of stories of people who are just like you, who have kind of moved from a row into a circle and found life and community uh, in a new city group. And so I want to share this morning Hanson and Maggie French's story uh, through this video. So check it out with me. It was not a, a formal sit-down checklist of, hey, do you qualify for a group? It was yeah. just like, a, hey, come talk. Are you interested? Like, yeah. here's some food, meet some people. Yeah, and, you know, they'd sit you at a table, and um, you just meet people, and you talk to the group leaders, and that's really fun. And mm -hmm. you meet people who have, you know, been at the church or have, like, are just, you know, I just moved here, and, like, I'm looking for friends. And so that was fun. and. It was a really easy way mm -hmm. to meet a bunch of people really fast. Um, yeah. In a laid back environment, so. One of the joys for us, or I guess I'll say me, but I think it's us. Um, we went to Group Link and we got plugged into a group that actually wasn't a stereotypical, like, young adult group. Um, and we have a wide range of not only just life stage, but age range, um, you know, obviously guys and girls. That's been really encouraging for me. Um, I have grown up in Christian community, Christian environment, and I've done the stereotypical, okay, you're a 20 year old dude, here's Bible study, let's all go hang out. But it's been cool for me to be a part of a community group that has like parents and grandparents, yeah. um, just because the perspective is different. You look at a piece of scripture or you hear somebody talk about the way they interpreted the sermon or what they got from that Sunday service. It, it's something I would never think of. Yeah. And it's actually something that's pretty valuable, I think. I mean, you can't go wrong with free food. 
Thanks, uh, Hanson and Maggie, for sharing your story. And we want that to be your story, too, to find your people, find your, uh, your group and your community here. So uh, if you have your phones right now, I want to invite you to go to newstudy.us slash grouplink, and you can register today, right now, for grouplink. It's February the 27th from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. There's childcare available. We're gonna feed you dinner that night, so dinner's taken care of. Sunday night, February 27th, two weeks from today. It's at our Matthews location. We, we kinda go back and forth between our locations, and, and this group link is gonna be hosted at Matthews, but there's groups for everybody, for every location uh, at New City, South Park, Matthews, and online as well. So register for group link. Finally, hey, thanks so much for your generosity. Um, thank you for what you do to allow us to, to live out our mission here at New City. And our mission, pure and simple, is to bring gospel renewal to our, our city and world. Uh, another way to say that would be we want to we wanna help people find and follow Jesus. We want to help people find and follow Jesus. And, um, you know, I know that for many of you in your story, there was someone that invited you, that invested in you, that helped you find Jesus. Uh, for many of you, you're just uh, beginning that relationship. For some of you, you've been following Jesus for years. And that's what we want to be about here is helping people find Jesus, fall in love with him, and follow him hard in their lives and help other people find him. So thank you for your generosity. Uh, you can give online. You can, you can text to give. We have these little green boxes if you've ever wondered what they are. Uh, you can drop your offering in them or the Connect card that's in front of you right now. Um, you could fill that out if you haven't filled one out before and drop it in the green box when you leave today. Uh, any of those in the worship center would be great. Thank you so much for that. Would you pray with me for our offering today? God, thanks for each person gathered here today. Thank you for each person watching today. We pray, Jesus, that you would make yourself known to us. Worship is our response to your revelation. So as you reveal yourself, as you make yourself known to us today, may we respond in worship um, through the preaching of your word, community with each other, through our giving, through our connection. May all of it be an act of worship. And we'll give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, apparently today is sweater vest day at New City, and I want to welcome- You look good. You look good. Thank you. You too. Yeah, thanks. We want to welcome in our Matthews location as well. We're grateful to be together as one New City family, and grateful to have Jeff Helton with us today, and his wife, Laura. Uh, If you were with us at date night, Jeff and Laura led us through on Friday night here at date night. It was awesome. And today, Jeff is going to be sharing from Luke, the 15th chapter. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you to go ahead and be making your way there. Maybe- one of the best narratives in the, in the Bible about God's love. And so would you join me in giving a warm New City welcome to Jeff Helton. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, warm, that is a great word for New City Church, warm. You guys, it's always so good to be with you. And this is no different. Friday night was a blast to be with some of you who came out for the marriage event, the date night. And now to be together this morning, uh, it's, it's good to spend this time together. At first glance, it's a story of two boys who could not be more opposite, although their DNA was fairly similar. If you look at them, they couldn't be more different. It's like one of them was a six foot five athlete, excelled in every sport. 
The other one was this five foot eight guy who loved math and launching rockets to the moon. They couldn't have been more different. Even their attitude, their approach, one was a complete mess. The lost child, rebellious, disobedient, wanted everything to go his way and his way alone. Where the other son was picture perfect golden child. He complied, he obeyed, rules were his love language. The younger one had a strategy of let me take and I'll get as far away as I can because I will do it my way. The other one stayed close, hunkered down, followed those rules and just wanted to do everything to please as he walked the straight and narrow. They couldn't have been more different or so it seemed. But as we unpack this story that Jesus tells, that for some of us it's so familiar, we realize that neither of them knew how to really enjoy what was right in front of them. Neither of them knew how to really delight in their father's love. I think it's really important for us as we walk through Luke 15, specifically the story of the prodigal son, to pay attention this morning to a couple different areas. One, where do you find yourself in this story? All of us, I think, show up somewhere in this story that Jesus tells. But I think secondly, today, what I want us to do is I want us to spend a little bit more time focused on the main character of the story, the one that Jesus seems to be putting a lot of emphasis on, and that's the story of the father. If you've really studied Luke 15, it's a very layered story. It's a whole lot more than just about two boys and a father. It's really about Israel and how the Gentiles will come together. It's a beautiful picture that goes all the way back to the story of Jacob in the Old Testament. But today, I want us to take it at face value. The way Jesus shared it and think of it in terms of relationally, how do you, how do I, how do we relate to the father? How am I like that older son? How am I like that younger son at times? You know, the word father was Jesus's favorite way that he would address God. When he's on the earth, that's the number one way that he talks about him. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, the word father is used to describe God 240 different times. Even when the disciples come to Jesus, teach us how to pray to, the, to Yahweh, to this divine God, he teaches them with those first two words, our father. There's something about the idea of God being father, that we have a God to call father, that scripture seems to want us to really understand. And yet, I think one of the most emotionally charged words in the English language may be the word father. When you hear that word father or dad, what comes to your mind? Man, for some of us, it's all sorts of things. Maybe it's playing catch. Maybe it's, maybe it's dependability and reliability. Maybe it's hardworking provider, respect, honor. Maybe it's sadness or disappointment or a longing, wishing I could see him again, or maybe it's anger and frustration at, man, where was he? Why did it happen that way? You see, I think how we view and relate to our earthly fathers is often an open door to how we relate and understand our heavenly father, for good or for bad. Fathers have a massive impact on, their, on our lives, their presence or their absence, and their love or their anger, their wisdom or their foolishness, their guidance or their silence. Dads, we mark a next generation, just as all of us were marked by a father at some level. So sometimes when we think about a God to call father, there may be something in us that goes off going, wait a minute, I'm not sure I like that. Or wait a minute, that's really easy for me to do. That's why I think it's imperative that we look at scripture, that we understand what Jesus is wanting us to know. Five snapshots, if you please, of this God that he called father, and he invites us to call father. 
If you have your Bibles, we're going to read the narrative. It's a little long, so hang in here with me. And yet, I think it's so important for us to see it today. And as I read through the first part of it this morning, I just want you to think about what different pictures of the Father is Jesus painting through these words in Luke 15. We'll start at the second part of verse 11. Now, a man had two sons. And the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between the two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time he ran out of money, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Hey, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please, please take me back as a hired hand. So he returned home to the father. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming Filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found so the party began. What kind of father is that? In the next few minutes, I just want us to walk us through five snapshots, five pictures, if you please, of this God we can call father that Jesus is telling us about. First snapshot, a generous father, a generous father. It's pretty obvious what happens here at surface level, but behind the, behind the context of what's going on here, this is extraordinary what this father does. In those days for a son to come to a father and say, I would like to have my inheritance now before you die. In effect, he was saying, I wish you were the same as dead. I am breaking all ties with you. I never need anything from you again. Don't focus merely on the money of this generous father who does that, who splits it right down the middle and says, all right, here's your inheritance, son. Focus rather on a father who's willing to go, okay, you want nothing else from me. You're done with me. So be it here. And he pushes it across the table. There's a powerful picture of generosity that we see here of, of, a, of a father who is saying, whatever I have, you've come to me. Okay, I'll give it to you. We always call this, this parable the, 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 the return of the prodigal son. The word prodigal actually means wastefully extravagant or, or giving on a lavish scale. And, and so often in the older language, we would think of the word prodigal with the word wastefully. And so the son goes and wastes his inheritance. But y'all, maybe we should call this story the prodigal father. The one who is saying, let me wastefully, lavishly, overwhelmingly give you your inheritance now. What a picture it is of a God who is so generous, who looks at his son and says, I, I want to give you what you're asking for. This father's not foolish. He's not a foolish man. He's probably aware that this boy at this young age is not going to spend it in a wise way. He's not going to be responsible with it. 
And yet Jesus wants us to know that the heartbeat of the Father is, I will be generous towards you. Again, don't get hung up on financial only. It's the generosity of wisdom and strength and hope and grace and an ability to endure that our Father grants us. But the first picture Jesus wants us to see is we have a Father who is generous toward us. How can you not think of John 3.16, for God so loved that he generously, lavishly gave. A Father who is generous. Second snapshot, a father who is patient, a father who is patient. Or maybe the word is waiting, a waiting father. You know, this father, extraordinarily wealthy, has plenty of resources. I mean, y'all, you think about it. When the son leaves the house and he just waits, he he could have sent a spy and say, hey, go out there and follow him around, give me a report. Or, Or he could have sent somebody out there and said, hey, if the report's bad enough, go get him, grab him, kidnap him, bring him back home. I gotta straighten this boy out. Or y'all, I don't know, maybe he could have created his own little app that has a find my friends and he could just been tracking this kid all the time. But he waits. He has a posture of just being patient. He's not naive. Again, he's not thinking this guy's using the money to go do church planning or to feed the hungry. He knows his young son is up to something that's probably not good. I think I often think in terms of how we process a God like that. Uh, often when I sit with people in my office and they talk about their journey and their walk with Christ, frequently they'll go, oh, I feel like the Lord has given me so much. They see the generous father. But I think he's growing really impatient with me. I'm not stewarding it well. I'm not using it well. I'm not doing the best with my gifts that I could be doing. And so often when I hear that, I think of this story and I go, hang on a minute. Is the heart of God towards you just tisk tisk tisk? Is the heart of God towards you, shame, 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 you're not doing enough? No, the heart of God is illustrated by Jesus as, as one who is waiting, as one who is looking, saying, hang on a minute, I, I, I'm, I'm for you. If you need to work things out, I'm going nowhere. I will always be here. And in my sanctified imagination, I picture this father waiting, literally, that toward the end of the day, he kind of walks out to the end of his front porch or something, and he, he just kind of does one of these. He looks out on the horizon, way down the road, and goes, huh, mm, man, I wish he was here, but no, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just keep waiting. It kind of reminds me of my grandmother, Helton, when, when we were growing up in rural East Tennessee and we'd go see her. She was about an hour and 15 minutes away from us. And dad would always call her on the old landline phone and say, hey, we're on our way. We'll be there in a little bit. And it never failed when we got on the old country road driving toward her house. I could see in the distance, oh, there's the house. We're getting close. And by the time we turned into the, the driveway, you could see grandma was sitting out on the front porch in the rocking chair, like iconic Southern family, Right? And as we'd get closer, as the car would go up the driveway, grandma would get up. And before we were in out of the car, she would just do this, arms wide open. Like, oh, my kids, they're here. Maybe this morning, the most important picture you're going to see is a picture of a waiting father. A father who stands saying, so glad to have you here. So glad you're back. So glad you're coming near. That's the God that we can call Father, Jesus says. And for some of us, maybe that's a powerful picture. Maybe you're in a season of waiting. There are seasons when we feel like, God, where are you? God, will you show up? God, are you with me? You know, waiting seasons like waiting for a baby, waiting for a spouse, waiting for a job change, waiting for a prayer that we prayed so hard to be answered, waiting for something new in a health situation, waiting for a relationship to be healed. When we are in the waiting, I think we need to be reminded that Jesus says, there's a God who calls Father who knows a lot about waiting. There's a God we can call Father who not only knows a lot about waiting, but he is a God who is with you in the waiting. 
Maybe that's a picture this week. You're going to need to think about God. I need to be reminded that you're a good father who is waiting with me. A third picture Jesus paints really clearly is a picture of a forgiving father. A forgiving father, one who's gracious. Obviously, obvious places, this picture when the son comes home. I, I love this part of the story. You know, I can totally see this boy. I mean, he's a Jewish boy. If you remember Jewish law, pigs are a really bad thing for Jews back in those days. And what's he doing? He's feeding pigs. He's literally living in the pig pen. And for him, when he comes to his senses and he comes back home, the first thing he does is he starts making a speech. I know, I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Hey, make me like a hired hand. Bring me back. Could you give me a job, please? I've already known I've blown my inheritance, so you've got nothing for me, but would you pay me if I do some work for you? In effect, that's what he's doing. And he's making this speech because he knows that, that legally and ethically, dad has every reason to meet him at the front porch and say, get out of here. You've already wished me dead. I'll treat you that way. Dad has every right literally to call for the elders of the city and say, hey, rumor has it my boy's coming back. Can you meet him at the top of the driveway? And when he comes up, serve him with a restraining order. He's no longer welcome here. He cut me off. So be it. We'll live that way. So this son is going, I got to have my speech down pat. When I walk in that door, when I get close enough, I need dad to know how sorry I am. And I love how Jesus tells the story. Because if you notice, we hear the son's speech in the first part. But by the time the son starts giving his speech, he doesn't finish it until the father literally interrupts him. It's like he cuts him off like, enough of this, quick. The first word, quick. He looks at a servant and says, quick. In other words, right now, it's stat if you're in the hospital. We've got to do something cold blue. My boy, I thought he was dead, but he's breathing again. Wow, let's do something. And here's what we're going to do. I want to be completely identified with him kill the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger. All these beautiful images of, I want people to know he's my boy and he's back home. Maybe my favorite word in this little part of the passage is, is when Jesus says that when the father saw him in the distance, so I see him looking this way. When the father saw him in the distance, he ran. He ran. Why would run be an important word? Y'all, culturally in those days, when you were a young man, you wore robes, you know, about, about mid-thigh length. And as you got older, you dropped them on down to your knees. It's kind of like doctors. And the further along you get in your process, the longer the white coat gets, right? For these guys, man, by the time you're old, if you're an old man, you have a long robe on all the way down. But the wealthier you get, the more you do, the, the bigger and the more robes and the heavier the robes are. And these robes with the tunics and everything else underneath them, they fit fairly snug. So old men in those days, they walked very, very poised, very distinguished, small steps so they didn't trip over their robes. So when Jesus says this father ran, how? And again, in my imagination, he reaches down and he hikes up the robe, bony, hairy legs and all. And he runs and he runs because he says, that's my boy. And all around him, people in the town, no doubt are looking, going, that pathetic kid came back home. What are you doing? And the father says, I'm going to humiliate myself to get to the one that I'm going to throw myself around. I will embrace him. I want to be with him. He is forgiving and gracious and lavish beyond our imagination. The people of the town may completely be disgusted with my son. But not me. I want him to be dressed in sandals like me and a robe like me. I want to put my ring, the ultimate gold card on his finger. So wherever he goes, you know, he walks and talks with my authority. 
See, I think this picture of the forgiving father reminds us of this. If you take one step toward the father, he will run a marathon to be with you. There's a fourth picture of this father Jesus paints, the loving father, the loving father. The reunion scene between the father and son, it's the second time that we see this lavish love. And as I've already said, we, it's, it's illustrated in so many beautiful ways with the robe and with the ring and, and, and with the sandals that he puts on him. But the part that just blows my mind here is that the love isn't just contained to son, I'm glad you're home and, and servants and people close by, my neighbors who see this, I'm glad you see my boy's home. But it's the killing of the fattened calf. Y'all, in those days, it's not like you got your whirlpool or your frigidaire sitting in there. And so you go out and slaughter a calf and you throw a bunch of it in the freezer. In those days, if you're, kid, if you're killing a calf, you're making a commitment. There's a party that night. Filets and brisket and ribs and everything you can imagine. It's going to be barbecued up and there's going to be a party and it's going to require everybody to come. This loving father is saying, look, not only do I love you, son, not only am I forgiving you and welcome you back as the wayward that you've been, but bigger than that, I want this whole community to know of my great love for you. This is no small fried chicken dinner. We're going big. I'm making the full commitment. And it's in this little picture of of how this father loves his son, not only with the things he puts on his body, but the way he invites everybody to come. It's a picture of a father who delights, who celebrates. I love the way that little passage we read ends in the NLT. And so the party began. Is that a picture you have of God the Father, that he likes parties? You know, the connotative meaning of the word party is like a bad thing so often for us. Oh, party. They party. Ooh, stay away from those people. Now, Jesus is saying, you have a God you can call Father who loves not only to party, but to throw the party. What a different picture. His love is so lavishly ridiculous, prodigal, if you please, that for when we come to our senses, he says, I want to go overboard to remind you. Perhaps this week, a picture you need to see is of a God whose love is that lavishly generous for you. See, in this story, Jesus wants us to see a God who is generous, who's waiting, who's forgiving and gracious, who's loving and celebrating. And there's one more final snapshot in these last few verses, picking up at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And and he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed a fattened calf. We are celebrating because of your brother's safe return. But the older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Maybe this last picture for us good church-going folks on a Sunday morning, is the most important picture. We have a pursuing father. Kind of sounds like an oxymoron from this waiting father, doesn't it? Wait a minute, is he waiting or is he pursuing? Which is he doing? He's doing both. 
That's, his maje- that's how majestic he is. That's how big he is. It just depends on the person. It depends on the situation. Sometimes he's a God who sits back and just waits and says, wonder what's going on. And sometimes he walks out on the back porch as he does with the older brother. You know, there's a lot of tendency in the Christian life that the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we know the right answers. The more we know how to do it right. And, and if we're not careful, while that wisdom may be good, that wisdom can lead to being puffed up, finding a little sense of I'm a little bit better than. Or, or we can develop that long nose that causes us to look down on others and go, poor them, they're not doing it right. There can become a pride and arrogance, even a self-righteousness, a judgmentalism. See, like the older brother, I've done everything right. That's his big words. I've done everything right, yet you're not throwing a party for me. See, so often in our world that we live in right now, it's so much easier to judge and condemn those who are doing the things that as good Christian folks, we believe they shouldn't be doing. Instead of going, wait a minute, was that me once? Wait a minute, could that be me again? The father's posture toward this older son who's doing everything right is so instructive for us. You know, culturally, what the older brother was supposed to do in, a, in any type of party, any time of gathering the father served, he was to be, think mater d. He was supposed to be the guy literally standing right beside the father. I'm, I picture his arm up like this, the white towel hanging over it saying, yes, dad, what can I do? Or welcome to my father's home. I'm so glad you're here. Come in. We've prepared a feast for you. The older brother should have had front and center presence. He should have been out seeing everybody, greeting everybody coming in. But instead, where is the older brother? Y'all, in my mind, he's literally out on the back porch pouting. He's been in the fields working. He's hearing this noise. He's hearing the music. He's hearing the dancing. He's hearing the laughter. He asks what's happened and he refuses to go in. And this is the picture that Jesus wants to see of this father. The father now pursues. He sits. He listens. He pleads, please come inside. I want you in here. I'm not going to do it. You've never cared for me. I've done everything right. No even tiny little goat. I love the little slight. And this son of yours comes home. It's not my brother came home. This son of yours. I'm distancing myself as far away from him as I possibly can. And the father just pulls up the chair and sits down. And he says, but son, you have. You've worked for me for years. And everything I have is yours. In other words, if you wanted a goat, why didn't you get a goat? If you wanted a party, why didn't you throw a party? See, Jesus, when he talks about this pursuing father, is painting a picture of a permission-giving father. Enjoy what I have. Everything I have is yours. You don't have to wait on me. It's very similar to Jesus in John 15 when he's telling the disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know the father's business, but I call you friends because everything my father has made known to me, I've made known to you. In other words, come close. The riches, the resources of heaven, they're yours. A father who moves toward inviting you to enjoy all that he has. I wonder why this parable is so important to us. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons perhaps. For me, I think one of the crucial reasons that we pause and look at this this morning, why do we have a God to call Father and why is that so important? Is because it speaks not only to the core of who He is, but ultimately it speaks to do we really understand our identity 
as his children. Sinclair Ferguson wrote these words, unless God is our father, we are orphans. There's such a powerful truth in that simple statement. Unless God is our father, we are orphans. And I say we will live like orphans. We will live with a sense of disconnection, of uncertainty, of not sure. Is he really good? Will he show up? Does he care? And all of us have had those moments, I think, when we're just not sure. God, are you really up to my good? And Jesus is saying, I want you to see these pictures of this God you can call father who is generous, who is patient, who is forgiving, who is loving, who is pursuing And when we do, we suddenly realize that this God we can call Father makes up for any shortcomings or differences we may have in our lives from our personal stories. A God that we can call Father lets us know that we have one who's waiting, arms wide open at the end of the driveway saying, come home, I'm here for you. No matter where you've been, what you've done, there's always a place for you in my house. A God to call Father who steps out on the back porch and reminds you, look, I don't care what your attitude is right now come close there's something more for you than what you have now it's valentine's weekend and i can think of no better story to spend a few minutes thinking on and perhaps even these next few days reflecting on the truth about god's massive big love for us we are the beloved his love for us knows no bounder boundary See, whether we're younger sons or older sons, whether we're in a season going, I'm struggling to even identify with either one of us, our posture is always, his posture toward us is always going to be the same. It's a posture of love. Whether he's in the waiting, arms wide open saying, come home, or whether he's in the pursuing, you know what's interesting? It's the exact same posture. It's easy to see the father at the end of the driveway looking out and saying, oh, there's my boy, come home. It's easy to see that. But for those of us who know him, many times it's the exact same posture he has for us. He's saying, look, everything, everything I have, it's yours. Enjoy. Live in the fullness of my love for you. Maybe this Valentine's weekend as we're celebrating love, and rightly so, as we're enjoying the special people in our life, and please do, what a great gift to give. May his word from this picture Jesus paints be true for you. You are loved. You can always come home. Come home to a father whose love is perfect. To a good father. The one Jesus and Paul say you can be so intimate as to call daddy Abba. And so now, this week, perhaps in a new way, may you live in the truth of this story and the truth of the words from 1 John chapter 3. See what great love. Oh, underline that word great. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, sons of God, daughters of God, pursued ones, celebrated ones, forgiven ones, beloved ones, the chosen ones. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. For that, for that is what we are. Would you pray with me? And Father, perhaps in a different way than normal, this week, could we pause and hear the words of Jesus afresh? Could we see the picture of this Father who was lavishly generous, overwhelmingly forgiving, who was unbelievably patient and gracious, whose compassion and mercy was extravagant, 
whose desire to celebrate, to love, and to walk into our very lives in pursuit. May we see him afresh. And in doing so, may we live as men and women who have a steadfast confidence that our identity, no matter what anyone else says, our identity is we are the beloved children of a good, good father. May we live that way for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. stand as we respond together.
you're perfect in all your ways. Cause you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all. sends us out into the world to love and to serve. So as we, as we leave, will you extend your hands and receive this benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and fill you with peace. Amen. Go in peace, New City.